Hi, my name is John Kim. I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth many years ago, and I've been documenting my journey ever since, sharing my life lessons and revelations. I believe in casual over clinical, with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. Um, so Sam Louie and I go way back. Uh, he, here's, here's what's interesting about Sam. So I grew up in an all-white uh, neighborhood. Um, Sam and I are roughly the same age. Sam grew up in a predominantly all-black neighborhood. I grew up skateboarding. Sam grew up, grew up uh, playing basketball. Um, we both loved hip-hop. And uh, the way that I met Sam was I was at church, and um, I didn't have many friends. And this guy, you know, we started talking. He's like, I got to introduce you to my friend Sam. He's also Asian. He's also going through a divorce, and he's also um, studying to be a therapist. And I remember that's why he uh, brought me to your house, and uh, that's how we met. And then from there, um, I remember the moment that Sam uh, 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 asked me for my phone number, and it was kind of a weird moment because uh, it's kind of strange for guys to, uh, because Sam and I are older, and, and, and you know we we were kind of. Uh, um, we have our one foot into kind of like, you know, um, um, the old generation where uh, asking a man for a phone number might be kind of weird. And I, I remember uh, <laughs> it, it, it was kind of forced. It was like, it's almost like um, you almost demanded it. It was almost like, you know, if you get nervous instead of being polite asking, I think you threw me your phone and you were like, give me your phone number. And I was like, oh, shit. And uh from then on, we moved in together, became friends, and um, we went through a divorce recovery together as we were uh, working on hours toward licensure. And here's what's interesting, and you can see this, you can see this literally on YouTube. Now, if you look at Sam, he became the shirt and tie guy. Right, the classic therapist. <laughs> I only dressed up for you, man. <laughs> no, come on. No, you, you I got don't slacks normally on. wear such a nice shirt. No, oh, I come on, hundred percent. You got slacks on. And jeans, um, baby. But he's got nice an office because of you. He's got an office. He's got a full practice, and um, he's in Washington. You know, he's the the. I mean, you know, you're the, you're the classic therapist, right? Um, look at your book displayed. You know, just uh, perfectly. Uh, and then, and then here, here's me, here's me. And also look at the hair. Sam has no hair. I've got this long hair, curly. And, uh, I'm in my garage, you know, playing with my phone and, and just, you know, I'm like no practice, um, playing with my quote unquote Legos. Yang, baby. Yin yes. Yang. So I'm just saying, it's just, it's just really interesting how we are, we have so much in common. Um, but also, uh, as therapists, we took very different roads and and here we are, and there's a visual, you know, the Sam with his cactus, and me with my, you know, little <laughs> book posters. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Sam, let's talk about shame. Uh, one of the things that Sam's passionate about in his brand new book, Passport to Shame. Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Oh, you got it. Um, they finally sent it to you. Yeah, they just sent it to me right before this. And uh, you know oh, what nice. I found interesting? Just in the beginning, it talks about how there are more than 300 words in uh in chinese for shame yeah let's start with that so so sam's chinese american i'm korean american um tell me about shame and and uh, you growing up with shame um i think one of the biggest areas of shame was just keep in mind you were born in the us i was born oh. 
no, overseas. no, no, that's not true. I was born in Korea. Oh, no. I came here when I came here when I was three. Oh, okay. You came here when? Do you even remember being an immigrant? Uh, I remember the because we landed in Columbus, Georgia. Uh, you know, seventy six, and I remember the feeling because I was like my daughter's age. I remember the feeling of going into restaurants and not being wanted. I remember the okay. feeling of that. So I don't remember what was said, but I know there was a lot of racism. And I remember us leaving restaurants and, the, and being confused and, and kind of feeling this like, uh, um, you know, the uh, of not being wanted. That's the feeling I, I felt. When did you come to America? Uh, I think it was closer to four because I was oh, okay. slapped into kindergarten shortly thereafter. But I do remember being really young uh, on a bus. Everybody's black with yeah. my grandmother. And like, not necessarily feeling unwanted per se, but wasn't sure where I fit, mm. <laughs> right? Mm. I'm on a bus, everybody's black except right. my grandma and me. And then keep in mind, grandma's speaking to me in Chinese. Yeah. And yeah. I'm trying to speak, to ba- I'm trying to speak back to her in English, knowing she's not going to understand me because I just wanted to make sure everybody on the bus would treat me as the an same. American. I don't right, know right. how they viewed me, but I did not want to be viewed as um, a, a, as a foreigner. So, yes, I agree. I um, But I my bus was white, and uh, my grandma was also with me. Um, what, did your grandma come because your parents were working, so they needed your grandma to, to kind of raise you, take care of you? Is that why your grandma was here? Well, my dad was able to get sponsored by a restaurant uh, just south of Seattle to be their head cook. Mm. I know that sounds like a glamorous position, but it really <laughs> isn't. Well, you said cook, all that not chef. Was, it's not, not a well, head chef, I, head I, cook. Head cook, head chef. It didn't matter to me because at the end of the day, he's slaving away in these kitchens. And my mom's working at a different Chinese restaurant as a waitress. But there's mm. no such thing as a paid vacation. Right. There's no health insurance. So they're always working. You know, and yeah. they're not they're not making a lot of money working at these, um, you know, restaurants. Wait, this is the 80s, right? Uh, parents, wait, they moved here 70, mid 70s. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Uh, same story. My parents, uh, uh, my dad was not a cook. He was pulling telephone cable working for GTE. And uh, oh, wow. my mom He's making some money. No, he wasn't. Government manual, employee? manual labor, manual labor, and uh, government and employee. Government my mom employee? was. Uh, my mom was. Uh, no, no. My mom was making uh, egg rolls oh, okay. and shit, selling in a, a little little hamburger stand. But they were gone constantly, and so it was like my grandma who was home. And I remember, um, I have this really. I have this memory of when I was like ten. My grandma was washing me, and my brother, in the bathtub, and you know, Koreans when it comes to scrubbing, it's just no joke. And she would scrub me so hard. With uh, it's like when you go to um, you know, women who go to um, uh, Korean spas, they, you, they're like, dude, these Korean grandmas are fucking aggro, like they'll scrub you, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, my grandma used to scrub me with this thing, it was like a fucking stone. And one day, she had both of us in there, we were way too old to be, you know, in the bathtub with our, our grandma, and uh, she uh, would be scrubbing us, and and you know, we're screaming and stuff, and uh, it was right next to the front door, and our, our friends heard us. And they're like, oh, my God, you, you guys, uh, our white friends, hurt us. And, and they're like, you – and then they start making fun of us for, um, you know, mm. uh, at 10, and 10, 10 years old being in the bathtub with your grandma. Like, what's wrong with you guys? Mm. 
So what about language? Any uh, making fun of the Korean language? Oh, all the time. When they heard um, it? Yes. Oh. Uh, the smell of kimchi in our house. Um, they sell kimchi at Trader Joe's now. And I don't know how I feel about that because it's become mm-hmm. so, you know what I'm saying? Like Korean barbecue. When you go to Korean barbecue, it's mostly white people. Food is like, <laughs> Korean I know, barbecue but, is now in vogue. Dude, when I was growing up, I had crushes on little white girls who kind of liked me. And then they would come into my house and be like, hell no, what's that smell? And uh, then they would mm. never come over again. And, I, and, and you know, speaking of shame, so I, like you, had a lot of shame um, growing up in the 80s in a very white world being this little Korean kid, right? So tell me about your well, shame. Keep going. I wanted to, you know, because we're talking about the differences and similarities, can I read a quick paragraph from my book in the yes, beginning? Yes, of course. Of course. This is, is this not a poem. Yeah, right. This is not a poem, no, Sam. No, no, this, this is, is not. This, is, this okay. is not the poem. Okay, because Sam uh, Sam does poetry. His, his poems rhyme. They're a little, you know, they're they're a little different. So. <laughs> Some of them don't rhyme. Oh, I didn't <laughs> as know I that. As I got okay. better at the, as I got better at the poetry, I said I got, I can't make these rhyme. I'm, I'm trying to force it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When when, so the, here, when the poems don't rhyme, they're actually um, they're actually better. I just didn't want to say anything. Now, but, now it's but. considered art. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's now it's abstract. Okay, art. so here, here's this first paragraph. I hate myself. This was one of my earliest thoughts as a Chinese boy in the United States. I wasn't white like those I saw on television, and I wasn't black like those in my neighborhood. I was an Asian immigrant. Mm. I was an outsider, a foreigner, the other. It was 1976, and I was four years old. I hated looking different, speaking differently, and having different customs and traditions from mainstream Mm. America. I say mainstream America, but I should also include black America, which yeah. also also part of the um, environment I grew up in. Yeah. So, um, and I, man, I can relate to you on so many levels. And so with that, how does, you know, uh, a 10 year old, a Chinese boy, uh, how, how does he process this? How did, how did you, um, what, how did you internalize this not fitting in and trying to be American and, and all of that? So it's, you know how we always tell kids and even ourselves as adults, be proud of yourself, mm-hmm. right? Be proud mm-hmm. of yourself. Be proud mm-hmm. of where you came from. Right. And that took a lot of time until probably <laughs> middle <week>. school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that too. But hmm. like middle school, I started having a little bit of ethnic pride because there is this thing called ethnic self-hatred, right? Sure. As you said, or as you heard earlier, I'm hating the fact that I'm Chinese. Yep. I want to yep. scrub. I want to, I look in the mirror, I want to scrub, like I was trying to, you know, at one point I said, like, can this yellow skin get actually mm. scrubbed off? No, yeah. it can't. Um, and it wasn't until I found my basketball, there was an Asian basketball association in my neighborhood, and I joined it. And now I'm surrounded by not only other peers my age, but also the coaches. They were mm-hmm. a generation just ahead of me, but they were what I aspired to. They went to college. Right. They had, had quote, regular jobs, professional jobs, as opposed to immigrant jobs. Because prior to meeting them, everybody was what I knew from my parents and my per- parent circle. Okay, mm-hmm. everybody is working at a kitchen, uh, a Chinese restaurant, maybe one person works for the post office, but you know, very blue collar jobs. And yeah, you, you, you didn't see beyond what you knew. Right. So once I was 
immersed in this all Asian basketball program, boys, girls of various ages from first graders all the way to high school. And I'm kind of right in the middle, starting right around fifth or sixth grade. I'm like, wow, I can actually feel like, at least in this circle, I'm not as ashamed of who I am because, hey, we're mm-hmm. all the same now. Wait, was it because of your ability to play basketball? No, because we're all Asian. We're all Asian. Oh, you guys are Asian right. basketball league. Oh, and you're playing Asian, against. Um, right. Our coaches are all Asian. All the okay. volunteers are Asian. So then when you're meeting uh, all the parents, some of the parents are more Americanized. Mm-hmm. So they're talking to me in English, which is, mm-hmm. whoa, what's going on? Because remember, all the adults I knew are, can only speak Chinese. Right. So to have people speaking to me in, in English and calling me by my name, like, wow, this is just awkward. Hi, Mr. Wong. You know, hi, Mrs. Wong, Mr. and Mrs. Chin. Like, you get to know them on a on a relational level, which was a bit. Uh, that was the other piece that was missing is because our my parents were working, and there's a language barrier. The relationship was uh, just wasn't there. Yeah. So, um, did you, do you think, cause the other thing that you and I have, and I think, I don't know if you believe in addiction being, you know, in our blood or not is kind of like, um, like the addictive gene, you know? And I, and I know yeah. with you and also for me, when I was around 12, um, I was exposed to a lot of images way, way, um, way too early. And I remember, you know, uh, 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 asking my friend to steal, steal his brother's playboys and penthouses and just being mm. um, obsessed with um, women and nudity. And I was, you know, I was just, uh, just a little kid. And um, I think it was my way of, um, of numbing. I think it was my way of, um, you know, partly I wasn't supervised. So, you know, I was out till two in the morning. I was doing all sorts of shit with the neighborhood kids, but um I wonder if that, because that was the first introduction to um, anything pornographic. It was mm-hmm. the 80s, around 12, right? And you were also, I mean, in your book, you were also exposed to that, yeah. that right? Scrambled TV, but I wanted to get to your first point uh, before I forgot. Three generations of addictions, mm. at least three generations. My Gambling, lots of gambling, it says in your book. was always gambling. Yeah. Aunts and uncles gambling, some ended up in divorce mm-hmm. um and then you know my brothers have their own issues of whether it's spending or or you know sexual things just like myself so i do mm-hmm. think they're not that it was like a, a there's a gene per se but the environment was not one of emotional intimacy right and oh keep in mind my uh grandparents were arranged marriage so that's Mm. probably why grandpa was always the only image i have of him is grandpa standing at the bus stop ready to take the the bus to the um horse race track in seattle Mm. oh to gamble yeah yeah to gamble i mean this was a big deal horse racing um and people would say well horse racing this is a popular sport in chinese culture or back in hong kong where my parents grew up it's really not that big of a deal but it's just another way to kind of disconnect yeah so i do believe that level of disconnection connection kind of passed down through the generations to me and like yourself i was telling my therapist the other day and it finally hit me 
I don't know why. I don't know even know if it hit me when I um, brought it up in the book. But I mentioned to my therapist earlier last week, gosh, there are so many hours, partly because we're dads now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's hard for us to fathom our kids being unsupervised. Right. Mm, this whole concept right. of latchkey kids that yeah. the 80s, primary 80s grew up in, uh, you know, it was kind of a perfect storm. You got women going off to work. My mom was now going yeah. out in the workforce. Um, there weren't a lot of daycare centers if people mm. could even if, even if they could afford it. Right. They didn't have a lot of after school programs and right. things like that. Right. So kids were just left unsupervised. Yeah, and crazy. I, <laughs> We we just came For home when the lights when it got dark outside and we were you know <laughs> drinking out of hoses and just fucking yeah it's wild man animals. The positives is we learn to be self sustaining right like mm-hmm. I could just I could just use my imagination I don't need a lot of money to have fun right 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 we could just figure things out we could go out with a stick and whack yeah. through some sticker yeah. bushes create right. a trail and feel like we're we're, we're adventurers. Sure. Yeah. Um, just get on our bikes and yeah, just go out, do shit. You know, I remember digging tracks and, you know, playing little race cars and building Legos. And so you're right. Imagination, creativity, um, not by choice, but because we didn't have anything else then. Yeah. And just the sense of, uh, autonomy, right? You, if you wanted to do something, you had to do it. There's nobody, there's no parent guiding you along, encouraging yeah. you along. Yeah. I remember I was 12 and I was like, gosh, we, we don't have a lot of money, but I want things. How do I get things? And I remember uh, at the back of this um, comic book, you could sign up. And if you sold things, like if you sold uh, posters or whatever you sold, you earn credit so that you could get a toy or whatever. Mm. So I remember mm. 12 years old, I'm walking, I'm knocking down, knocking down, um, knocking on doors, trying to sell these subscriptions <laughs> to things oh with no supervision. Like, how do you even do this? Right? Like you're just out there doing it. Um, but so those are the positive things. I think the more um, impactful things was no adult supervision. Yeah. I'm also in a bit of a crime ridden neighborhood. So there are a mm. lot of emotions I had to stuff. Like I what? Did not, like I w- fear and being afraid yeah. or, yeah. I was the oldest of three, so I had to kind of tend to my two younger brothers. So imagine parents are just gone working at night. And that's when I started biting my nails. If we call something addictive mm. and compulsive, I started just gnawing on my nails. Wow. I didn't realize this till more recently at eight years old, um, just gnawing on my nails. And my therapist like, well, what's that all about? And what, what do you imagine? It's like, oh, I just remember being about eight to 10 years old, taking care of my parents. And it's very pitch black outside, worried about crime, getting robbed or whatever. And I'm just biting my nails to, to, to lower the fear and anxiety. Yeah. Coping. So, so there's That's so how you were much, coping. Yeah. So this was my, this was maybe my first one. And obviously we're at home, but we also got TV. So we're mm-hmm. every TV show that you can imagine yep. uh, we're watching. To, to start off the uh, the numbing numbing effect. Yes, yes. Also, uh, the pantry. Uh, every every sugar cereal <laughs> you could imagine. Sam and I have a joke because we also the other thing we have in common is we were going through a divorce at the same time. I, I think you, you got divorced first, um, and uh, we were we were 
coming home from Big Bear with a friend, a uh, female, and uh, it was one of the times I think I've laughed the hardest in my life where I, I, I my stomach was hurting. Uh, we, we used to um, ask our wives for permission to to buy sugar cereal. And, then, <laughs> and I thought I was the only one. He's like, no, me too. And it was just like a silly <laughs> moment. But I remember I was laughing. So Sam was driving. He almost crashed. And the, I remember the woman in the back, uh, she was like, what the fuck did I get myself into? Who are these people? Who are these clowns? <laughs> And I was in the front front seat riding Chuck, and I was laughing so hard I had to get out of my seat and kneel forward. So I'm kneeling forward, uh, bent over in pain, laughing. Sam is laughing so hard that the car car is swerving, and then our you poor told me friend to pay attention to the job. <laughs> yeah, we're coming down the hill, coming down the mountain, and and our poor friend in the back was just like, "What the fuck is going?" She did no laughing. She didn't understand our jokes. Um, but I, I'm saying this because it reminds me of. It reminds me of uh, yeah the sh the sugar cereal and you know gr growing up in the eighties freedom yes unbridled uh, junk freedom food, access to anything anything yeah. anything you wanted so then my my one of our friends had scrambled TV I don't know mm -hmm. if your listeners know what that is but scrambled TV is cable un access to unpaid subscriptions yes but when cable first came out in the sense that the the image is blurred out. You can't yep. really see it or you see yep. a little bit of it, but yep. you can still hear it. So I remember we would come across something that was Playboy or erotic or, mm. uh, you know, with disco themes. And man, I, 10, 11, 12, I don't know. But it was like, whoa, what is that? Everything is like, it, it, you know, and obviously puberty is hitting. So yes. it felt like this yes. lock in the key where I was just entranced. If I thought I was entranced with regular TV or video games and, you know, Legos or Star Wars, now with puberty, this was like, oh, man, this was this was it. Were you able to see enough where you're like, oh, that's a boob or oh, that's that's or was it so scrambled that it was more of the noises, the sex noises that fascinated you? In the 70s or 80s, porn, porn music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but people were making sex a, noises. It wasn't it was the combination. That wasn't of, the music. It was a, you know, the disco. It? it was a combination of everything. It was the trifecta. Because because yeah. prior to that, I didn't have video. The only thing I had, I remember, our parents would get like uh, J.C. Penney's, whatever, right. whatever those right. uh, department store catalogs, and you might be able to come across like the lingerie sec section. <laughs> yeah. But that was it, right? You know, it's right. not really – there's a lot of mental energy to have to go into that fantasy world, whereas now you actually see it or kind of see it and you hear it. And, uh, yeah, that, that was like the perfect storm to getting I, I wonder if because it was scrambled and, and because you know you're watching something you shouldn't be watching, that was part of the high. Do you know what I'm saying? You're the, doing something uh, yeah, the, bad. Part of the dopamine, part of the 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 high was to because like for me the same thing to be in my dad's room and put on uh, on TV or select TV and those playing the Playboy channel uh, while they were at work and and doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing was you know that that kind of that element of danger is partly what drew me to it. Yeah, there was the thrill knowing that we shouldn't be watching this. Yeah, that yeah. we were, th th our brains are getting a little bit of a, a, a more more than a little bit. It's getting a high because yeah. there's something that we knew developmentally. It, it's not sinking right at, at the let's say you don't even know what you're age. watching, right? It, but also, you're right, puberty. So we're very curious. You know, this is when you are 
putting your penis in the uh, you know in anything vacuums, fucking you know plums, uh, anything to, <laughs> to, to to you know this is this is when people are putting you know kids are putting peanut butter on their balls to get their dogs to like anything to feel something because they're so curious about sex but they're not ready for sex. So um, this is the 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 wonder years, you know. Oh and, yeah. Yeah, and so you and I both kind of numbing, escaping, coping because uh, we were latchkey kids in, in the 80s. And, you know, keep in mind, not just numbing because our parents are on a ra- not around. That is one element. And for me, obviously, the fear of, you know, crime and what have you. But there's also what's next? Like, mm. our parents are working. There's no talk about life like these fears are growing with each, um, what's the right word, each transition time. I remember feeling very anxious from elementary school to middle school because, yeah. once again, I'm the oldest in the family. Nobody's ever gone to school in the U.S. I'm going to be the first to go graduate from college and so on and so forth. And now I got like six different uh, classes. I got locker combination, six different teachers, middle school. Okay. Now I got high school. Now I have college. I have a future. All I hear from my parents are, oh, hey, just, just uh, get good grades. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what's the other lecturing thing that they would say? Oh, don't, don't hang around bad people. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's my blueprint for life. Just get good <laughs> grades. Don't hang out with bad people. <laughs> what's my life to be and i don't i don't think we fit into the asian stereotype i wasn't really that good of a student at least not when it came to traditional that's that's another place where we overlap we're both we're both idiots we're both both academically not smart we're we're not stem stem oriented the science technology (laughs) engineering math we're not that so it's like oh my gosh i see my friends doing well and I'm like, and now I'm seeing my grades starting to plummet in these math mm-hmm. and sciences. And yeah. I'm not even interested in it either. Now, yeah, me too. And then my me parents too. are telling me like, hey, we have friends whose uh, who's sons and daughters are engineers, they're yeah. doctors. Harvard. They're business kind of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what about you, Sam? So now they're starting to say something about my future. And I'm like, um, uh, that doesn't sound like me. Mom, yeah. dad, I, like, I don't know how to voice that. I now have some deep insecurities about mm. who I am uh, as a person, as a, you know, d- don't forget the masculinity side as a man, but yeah. who am I to grow into? All these fears and insecurities. Yeah. And, you know, uh, pornography at the time was a great way to continue to numb it out. Pornography, yeah. I say pornography, but there's a lot of things. I'm biting my nails, listening to hours on music. Mm-hmm. At one time, uh, I would just play basketball by myself. In, oh, not, not one time, countless hours playing basketball uh, by myself in the rain in Seattle because it was just a way to just escape. There's just yes. so much. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know if I've used the word fear and insecurity enough, but there's a lot of that. And, and, you know, this didn't stop because, um, you know, no. then you did grow up, right? And then you Jeez. started, like me, running toward the picket fence and uh, you got married and uh, you were, you were um, um, I was going to say weatherman. You weren't a weatherman, but you were, you were a news anchor and you had a very respectable job. Um, weren't you reporter. also like nomin- a reporter? Weren't you also nominated for an Emmy or you, you got started getting awards I, and you were I living a life of- that was very like Emmys. on paper, very, very successful. 
But even before that, I remember when I first started off as a cub reporter, I was very scared because I was like, okay, I'm making no money here in the middle of nowhere, which was Montana. But I was working as a reporter and I just felt this crushing weight. And I told myself, I'd rather, it was more passive suicidal thoughts. I'd rather be dead than Mm -hmm. return home to Seattle, not having, quote, succeeded in this career in television journalism. So that was actually when it finally started taking off. Because I don't remember, like in college, you know, I was just like too busy, once again, maybe numbing out with partying and what have you. But it wasn't until my first job in Montana. I'm lonely. I'm by myself. I got these fears of performing because it's my first journalism job. Am I even going to make it in this career? That was the very first time, I think it was 20, 21 or 22, whatever, finally entered my very first, quote, adult bookstore and just loaded up on a bunch of uh, magazines. Mm, Yeah. It was such a great way, great way of just numbing out and not having to worry about the day to day grind and how awful. Keep in mind, I was. You know, when you first start off at any career, but especially one as public as television news reporting, if you go to a smaller city, it's just awful. I mean, I was awful. I'll just use I language. (laughs) And so I could never see myself going from here. Look how awful I am on TV, the way I look, the way I sound. Uh, Just sounds like just just a B-rate college newscast and envisioning myself in a bigger city. So you weren't happy and you were very self, um, I don't know, criticizing and uh, judgmental on yourself. Um, and then came divorce. And, you know, of course, with divorce is more shame, more stigma, more labels. Oh, yeah. This was in the early uh, 2000, what is 2001 or whatever that time frame was. So I was amongst all my Asian peers growing up. I only knew one other Asian person that got divorced. Mm. What was it like for so you to I get divorced? Knew. And it wasn't was it it also wasn't your idea, right? Didn't did you, your ex wife um, bounced or wh- whose idea was it to divorce? Oh, so um, once again, it just escalated as my um, as the job requirements got more intense. Right, mm-hmm. as you, I'm working in Los Angeles, the pressure. It doesn't get easy when you get to a bigger city, right? More more pressure to perform. Didn't want to screw up. And so I think I remember every night just going home, drowning myself out in more pornography. And one night she just woke up and woke up, saw me doing it, screamed. Mm. And uh, we separated, did a little bit of couples counseling. But at the end of the day, that was too overwhelming for her. and. Um, yeah, it was it was excruciating because I thought we were just going to live, die, whatever. I had envisioned a life with her, not just her, but also her family, because they were Americanized. Keep in mind, she was an Korean American whose family was more Americanized. Her parents were educated out here. So I could talk to them. Does that make yeah. sense? I actually yeah, had yeah, a relationship yeah. you, 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 with right. them. Right. It, was, uh, it, wasn't, uh, it, was, it wasn't superficial. It was like real relationships. Blended family. And it feels uh, shameful. I don't know if shameful to say, but kind of embarrassing to say. But I felt like I was much closer to 
my then mother-in-law than to sure. my own mom. Yeah, of course. I get Partly that. because of the, um, the ability to talk in English, yeah. Yeah. but also because she was educated here. She under, she went to grad school in the U.S. She understood that it made sense that I had to move around the country to yep. to to. To, to do what I had to do back then, whereas my mom mm-hmm. would say, why don't you just work at this TV station in Seattle? Right, right. <laughs> right out of college. So, so yeah, that was um, really painful. That's about when I that, met you, right? Are... Divorce. The, the, uh, maybe a year or two after your divorce is when I met you. Yeah. Was I in grad school yet or just thinking about it? You're, you were in, I think you were in grad school. Yeah, because you were um, okay. already, I think you were even past that because uh, you were getting your hours uh, or you're just finishing oh, grad school okay, getting okay. hours. And uh, yeah, we kind of I, met each other at our kind of our lowest points of our lives. <laughs> I, I may have been low. It may have been you've gotten even lower right around that. I can't remember right around that time because I thought the pornography was was the low point or the divorce mm-hmm. was the low point. Mm-hmm. But there are times of really struggle post-divorce where I didn't know what what was to become of me. Um, maybe I was still going to therapy or training to be a therapist but relationally the level of rejection was so high i remember whenever there are a few times where i was able to go overseas what have you and i would hire escorts prostitutes mm-hmm. what have you mm-hmm. and that felt very low because yeah, the shame behind who that knows and... if these women i think some of these women may have been sex trafficked as well right before right. sex trafficking was even um really known and so that was very uh i think in hindsight very crushing to know I, i'm a, both a perpetrator right perpetrator mm-hmm. to a certain degree um because you're participating you mean yeah i'm participating yeah. In, in 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 these acts at the time i thought is everything's consensual i pay money but you know uh i was very naive but yeah, so I think let me, once I got there, it felt very low, quote, low. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, most of your life, uh, you know, I mean, this book is called Passport to Shame. So the just living with shame since, you know, being a, a little Chinese boy uh, and, you know, um, thank you for being so honest and sharing your story. I can relate to, I mean, w- you know, you're almost like a doppelganger, not because you look like me, but because we have such simil- <laughs> similar stories. Um how how did you now, because I want to start turning this around, um, how did you start dissolving, scraping shame? How did you start um, working on this so it, it just is, it doesn't become the monster that follows you around, you know? It's still a work in progress. I think it happened in stages. Part of it was getting help. Finally, as an yeah. Asian ethnic person to say, I need help. Yeah, that's a huge breakthrough to actually walk through the doors of a therapist and talk to a therapist was, I think, very instrumental. I think through the years, um, you know, I, I don't know if these concepts seems too fluffy, but learning to love myself regardless. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Warts and all. And yeah. this is it. I, I just saw no pun intended. I, I saw that movie uh, Dumb Money the other day, you know, about the whole GameStop stock market. No, thing. I haven't seen it, but OK. But anyways, there's a uh, there's a line where he tells his uh, the main character, his, his brother, dude, you just got to go run with your run with your dick out. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning for, forget, forget, stop hiding from the media. Just just be out there. And yeah. I was like, you know what? 
No pun That's how I've been living my I'm life for the last 15 years. Or just I'm just going to run with my dick out. I'm going to run with my dick out. I'm just going to own it. So maybe this is a little bit of you and me, like just taking, having the courage to be unabashed. Because as you know, I'm more traditional. I'm not really one mm-hmm. to self-disclose a lot. Sure. Yeah. And I just told my therapist the other week, I'm wrestling with a little bit, but I'm starting to say, forget it. I'm just going to go out balls mm. out and, 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 and just who cares if people know my story, but the people who know my story are the, and, and, um, are going to need the story. And if yeah. I don't share the story, how are they ever possibly going to get the help that they possibly need? And also, you know, shame lives in secrecy. And so I, you know, I, 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 I got to, I can imagine, I mean, I write books, you writing this book, sharing your story in a way uh, must be, have been very therapeutic, uh, must have been very kind of letting things go. And also, you know, the idea of our stories helping other people then makes our story bigger than us. You know, there's a almost a spiritual, there's a spiritual part to this too. There was a lot of, um, there were some tears shed in writing some parts of this book. Yeah. And this was not the book I envisioned. When I first started, the publisher, I gave them the draft, they liked it. But immediately they wanted to shift it. So 80% of it was more like just cerebral stuff, like Asian this, Asian that, very generic. And then the 20%, if that was my story, they say, we want to flip this. We want to make this more 80 to 90% your story, a little bit about generic Asian dynamics. I'm like, what? (laughs) I didn't like that at all. (laughs) Well, because then you had to share, yeah. Yeah, so there's a even promoting this book is difficult, but you know, I talked a little bit about I, how I do some uh, poetry. This might answer the question of um, how did I work through the shame? This one's titled Redefining <laughs> oh, My Shame. Shit. Warning, here comes okay, here comes one, one of Sam's Reading, books about to drop. <laughs> spoken, not broken, healing through poetry. Here we go. Redefining let's hear it. my let's shame. Hear it. Okay. okay, let's hear it. I used to hate my shame, run away from it. Hide from it, ignore it, deny it, pretend it's not there. Now, like a parent to a child, I embrace it. No more shame in naming it, sharing it, using it to my advantage, helping others heal. Where I once whimpered, I now boldly proclaim it. Where I once drowned in it, I've now harnessed it. Like a mule, use it as a tool, redefine it. No longer a soul crusher, use my shame a light for others to escape self-blame. So just finding um, a way to reframe, redefine it. I think that's yeah, been another yeah. aspect of uh, the healing. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, starting with um, owning it, um, not letting it have power over you by keeping it secret. So, um, you know, you writing a book about it, you t- being on my podcast, you talking about your story, um, in, in a way that is owning it, embracing it. And then there's a tipping point when you start to share it where it comes, uh, bigger than you. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's, that's huge with, with shame. Do you, do you struggle today? Um, with shame, the, how, what is your relationship with shame and how is it impacting you today as, you know, a family, now you're a husband, you're a father, yeah. you know, um, you're, you have a full practice, you've got tons of clients, um, or, or, or have, is, 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 have you like, um, it doesn't, you don't feel shame much anymore. Where are you today with shame? No, I think the shame is still there in that I wish 
I wish it was a different sort of a quote addiction, right? I wish mm-hmm. it was alcoholism. It, it, you know why? Because you can't like put your finger on it, or you can't see it. You can't like count the well, bottle. Well, if you're saying if you're saying you're I'm I've recovered. I'm a recovering alcoholic. There's less shame because it's just the the sexual piece. It's just oh, you so, okay, it was um, sex. Yeah, yeah. Our, our sexual piece. It's such a um, what's the right word? A, such a vulnerable part of who we yeah, are. Yeah, of course, right? of course. Yeah. And to say that, like, yeah, starting as young as this, I struggled. It's not a very masculine part of it. It's not very masculine. It feels more masculine to say I've been hooked on drugs or alcohol. But to say mm-hmm. I struggled with sexual imagery and masturbation and pornography, yeah, 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 up to, up to prostitutes and escort, it just yeah. feels very um, dirty yeah, and it, wrong it, and yeah. gross. Yeah, yeah. The, the morality piece gets in there too, and obviously morality was a part of the the shame for the the early alcoholics, right? They were viewed as people who had um, moral issues, you know, something. But don't, don't you, you think to, today, especially because um, I had a similar experience with with my ex wife, where um, got a lot of judgment and labels uh, slapped on me because I had a um, a video on my computer. And it was one video. Um, but back then, I think the judgment and the shame was much. It had a, a, a more of a grip than I think today, oh, sure. where uh, especially with just kind of uh, fluidity, openness, uh, you know, sexuality, and and what we're into, whether it's kink or whatever, um, right. it, it's not so confined. There, you know, people aren't judging as much anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? So, like mainstream I, I think sex America. addiction. Well, yeah, Mainstream maybe, maybe America, because we, you know, we live in big we're cities. We're still in our Asian ethnic, in my head, I'm still in the Asian ethnic culture oh, and community. Right, and that, that's still, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I could speak to any white audience. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but, you yeah. know, once we get to a more ethnic um, uh, audience, it, 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 that level of shame does creep up a little bit. Yeah. More. Yeah, I get that. I understand that. Yeah. You know. Hey, um, I know you have a ton of clients, and I know we're uh, pretty much out of time. Um, I just want to say that uh, you know I'm I'm really proud of you because uh, you know we 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 fuck around a lot, we joke a lot, we make fun of each other, yeah. we're very competitive, whatever. Uh, but all jokes aside, Sam, I'm really proud of you for uh, for writing this book, man. And I'm really proud of um, where you're at in your life. Um, um, you know, I can't say a lot about the three real the three wheel motor- motorcycle you bought the the harley with three wheels yeah i'm gonna just gonna leave that no comment but it looks um, just like yours but has a third wheel okay so we're gonna i, I don't even know it's a motorcycle or a car because it has three wheels but um other than that other than that sam you're um uh you're doing a lot of a lot of uh important work and uh, i'm really proud of you man because i um i was with you when we had nothing man all we had was frozen yogurt in our hands we had you know we're, we're trying to pick up girls and then we discovered crossfit and uh, God, we did. What we're, we're just complaining about our life and job, and we're just like drifting in Los Angeles with no broken, just we, we didn't have much materially. But remember, we didn't even have a TV. Con- we consciously said no TV because we wanted to be able to grow, go to coffee shops, read, learn. But I do remember one thing you said um, that still resonates today. Like you know, we don't have much right materially we lost everything relationally divorce and so on <laughs> yeah. and so on and so forth but you know what we do have is we are now changed we there mm. this is a before, I said that. 
Yeah, you said something oh, like, "Wow, we are now forever changed because of this experience." Mm. And I'm not saying people have to go through a divorce to go to go through this experience, right, but right. people are going through other crises or other uh, what's the right word? Life-altering experiences mm-hmm. that there's going to be that before and after. So right. I realized, like, man, even though we don't have much, much, we are never back to who we used to be right, and that's right. a good thing is what you yeah, mentioned of course. like oh it's valuable yeah i don't yeah, remember like saying that right. and and you know thank god i didn't say uh we don't have much but all we have is each other thank <laughs> god i didn't say that but uh but uh yeah yeah i i agree that um you know the refusal to be who you used to be has value and worth and so we were both on a path of uh you know in our hero's journey and uh just going through it man and um I don't know um, if I could have done it without you, Sam. I mean, you were such a pivotal part of that because you brought humor, you brought lightness, you brought, you know, um, uh, because we were fucked, we were lonely too. You know, we were in our heartbreak motel <laughs> in K Town. Um, and in a way, we, all, all we kind of had was each other. And uh, so all those lonely nights uh, of just kind of hanging out, talking, you know, doing whatever, um, I think got us through. You know all those. It was a great synergy. Yeah, it was a yeah. great synergy to be able to have your your creative juices just emanating. Well, thank you. And I think I picked up on you know when you look at the yin and yang, there's still a little bit of the other color on the book. Oh, the sure. Because the yeah. black side has a little bit right. of the white. Right. The white has a little bit of black. Right. So right, you have you're oozing creativity and extroversion and self. Um, what do you call it? Uh, self-disclosure. So there's yeah. a little bit of that in, 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 in what I try to do that's been inspired by you. So I, I oh, really thanks. appreciate, you know, your, your ability to really like when I first met you and I saw some of those videos, my uh, classmates in marriage and family therapy, like, please tell me he's not a therapist. I said, why? He really the, is. The, the one with me, the Valentine's Day where I'm shooting the, the target. Oh, God, that was so inappropriate. I would have gotten canceled. But, 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 it, but it was just, it just speaks to your ability to just be so out there, right? And Dude, I like, was running with my dick out. I, I was running with my dick out because yes. I had nothing else, man, except, except my blog and my stories. All I, I think that's the best way to end it. For 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 the two of us, we'll continue running with our dicks out. That's what this this episode is going to be called: running with our dicks out. With running John with and our Sam. dicks out. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. All right, let's do it. Well, hey, okay. Congrats on the book. Hey, where can we pick up Appreciate this book? It. It's wide. Amazon. Uh, my publisher said it's supposed to be at regular bookstores like Barnes and Noble, but obviously it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, nice. all the yep. online retailers. Yeah. Um. So. It's an important book. Check it out. Passport to Shame. It's uh, not only uh, Sam's story, but he's also a licensed therapist, so he's uh, very smart and has lots of great things to say. And shame is universal. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. So, yeah, check that out. And uh, Sam, thank you for being on my podcast. Great seeing your face. Thanks, John. And I appreciate everything that you've been doing. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. All right, Sam, love you. Be well, man. Uh Uh-huh. Bye. Yep, likewise. 